Our final presentation is from Yvonne. She will be focusing on why the seawall that we are sitting so close to here and will be looking at later played such an important part in the police story of the tragedy. Hello everyone. It's lovely to see so many of you who support Jeremy and our campaign here today. Before I give my presentation, I would just like to speak briefly about our Zoom meetings. These began almost two years ago now, as we had a strong desire to involve supporters more and to give them the opportunity to ask any questions and also to find out the latest news and learn new evidence through the presentations and to listen to and ask questions of a wealth of guest speakers. We had no idea at the time if these would be advantageous to supporters or indeed if they would be successful, but they have exceeded all our expectations and also many strong friendships have been formed as a result. So thank you to every one of you, as without you, our fight for justice will be a long and certainly a more lonely journey for us all. If you haven't been to one of our Zoom meetings yet and would like to see what they're all about, please let one of the team know and we will ensure that you receive the details of the next meeting, which will be held in the end of September. And so to my presentation today, which focuses on the supposed routes Jeremy Wood, according to the police and the Crown, have cycled along to make his escape from White House Farm after the shootings. We will walk one of these routes later today along the seawall path, and you will then see for yourself the terrain and just how dangerous this would have been and the impossibility of the Crown's assertions. You will also see just how far it is between Jeremy's cottage and the farm, which will even more show how ludicrous these assertions were but a factor that the jury were never entitled to see for themselves, as they were never taken to the location. Essex Police and the prosecution had to overcome a major hurdle, and that was a problem that not one single local resident saw anybody matching Jeremy's description on any of the roads or the pathways between the farm and Jeremy's cottage in the early hours of the 7th of August. Neighbours testified that Jeremy's car was parked outside his cottage after he arrived home from work and it didn't move all night. This factor, coupled with the absence of any evidence linking Jeremy to the scene and with the assistance of the theories of the wider family, the Bullflowers and the Eatons, they had to be more creative in their scenario. By the time of the trial, prosecution's case was that Jeremy had left his cottage in Head Street Goldhanger and walked to White House Farm across farmland. He then, supposedly, slipped a catch on the downstairs shower room window to enter the house, committed the murders, and then left using the kitchen window. And, mounting his mum's sit-up-and-beg bicycle, cycled back across the dark fields or along the unlit sea wall path to make good his escape undetected. Robert Bullfire, Jeremy's uncle, was determined to implicate Jeremy, and he created many scenarios for the police to consider. The use of a bicycle was just one of them. 
Buffalo wrote three diaries, and in two of them, he set out how he conducted his own tests of the possible routes and suggested Essex police should do the same. Bullflower set out how he took it upon himself to scour the local fields between the farm and the cottage looking for bicycle tracks. And of course, he didn't find any. However, at the continued insistence of the wider family, Essex police seized the bicycle, which was parked outside the back of Jeremy's cottage, and conducted forensic testing. This was to establish if some mud that was visible on the wheels matched any of that of the land they say he must have crossed, and also to obtain any blood evidence that would be present. The forensic tests were all negative. The mud was not a match, and no blood was discovered. No forensic evidence whatsoever to link Jeremy or the bicycle to the crack. So, why else would James Bicycle be in the back garden of Jeremy's cottage? That is explained in statements and the evidence, particularly those of Julie Mugford, who set out that she used the bicycle when she stayed with Jeremy to get the bus to a holiday weekend job, which Jeremy had secured for her in Malden. Using the bike, she would cycle from Goldhanger to Tolleson Darcy, leaving it at the Red Lion pub. She would then get the Osborne's bus, which runs from Tolsbury to Colchester, to go to work. In fact, after the tragedies, Mugford admitted in a statement to the police, dated the 10th of September, that Jeremy had asked her if there was anything she wanted from the farm. In a complete contradiction to her evidence at trial, in which she said she wanted nothing, her original evidence stated, He asked me if I wanted anything from the house, and I said I would like the bicycle for travelling to college. So the reason it was outside the cottage is no great mystery at all, and certainly had no sinister purpose in being there. As his police decided that they needed to time the routes between White House Farm and Jeremy's cottage on foot and on bicycle, it's not known what date these tests were conducted, but it appears that it only became necessary after Jeremy had been arrested on the 8th of September and then released without charge after five days of questioning on the 13th. The tests were conducted by Essex Police Officer D.R. Wilkinson, who gave evidence in his statement dated the 7th of October about his findings. But the different journeys were not replicated at night, neither were they carried out by a man of the same weight, height or build as Jeremy. It is also unlikely that the same type of bicycle was used, although there are no records available to clarify this. Neither is it known what the weather conditions were or the speed of the tests when Wilkinson conducted them. But what is known is that at trial, Wilkinson admitted that his timings were recorded between midday and mid-afternoon, so therefore they were in full light, and he had not repeated the tests in the dead of night. But remember, neither Jeremy or anybody meeting his description was seen on any of the routes by anybody on that night. His car remained at his cottage in Goldhanger until, at the request of the police, 
they drove from Whitehouse Farm to meet the mayor. These are the routes tested as set out in Wilkinson's statement. Firstly, with the aid of these maps, I measured the distance using a pedometer from Whitehouse Farm to Nan Head Street Gold Hangar via the farm track and the sea wall. This route measured 6,978 metres and at a brisk walk took 70 minutes to complete. I subsequently cycled this route in 35 minutes. The second route Wilkinson timed was also set out as follows. I then measured the distance using a pedometer from Nine Head Street Gold Hangar to Brookhouse Farm Track at its junction with Malden Road via Church Street and the B1026. This route measured 2,895 metres and at a brisk walk took 28 minutes to complete. I subsequently cycled this route in 10 minutes. But this was only part of that route. Wilkinson continued. I then measured the distance using a pedometer from a Brookhouse Farm track at its junction with Malden Road to Whitehouse Farm via B1026 and B1023. This route measured 3,290 metres and at a brisk walk took 30 minutes to complete. I subsequently cycled this route in 12 minutes. Therefore, the complete route between the farmhouse and the cottage took 22 minutes to cycle, 10 minutes for the first stage and 12 for the second. Wilkinson then continued to set out a further route. I then measured the distance with a pedometer from Whitehouse Farm to Malden Road via Brookhouse Farm Track. This route measured 1,629 metres and at a brisk walk took 17 minutes to complete. This track is well maintained, clearly defined and easily negotiable by foot, cycle or motor vehicle. I subsequently cycled this route in six minutes. So again, this was a split journey. To get from Jeremy's cottage, it took six minutes to cycle from the farm to Malden Road via the farm tracks and a further 10 minutes from the end of the track to the cottage as with previous timings. So in total, this route took 16 minutes. But Wilkinson didn't stop there as he then attempted to cross footpaths across fields and two of the farms, Joyce's Farm and Lauriston Farm, which appeared on Ordnance Survey Map. The police thought this could be an alternative and more direct route used by Jeremy. However, Wilkinson set out that. I have attempted to negotiate these footpaths, but without success. The paths go directly across ploughed fields or cultivated crops or peter out on the banks of small streams and irrigation canals. Obviously, if he was unable to walk these routes, it's the followers, it's impossible that they could have been ridden in the pitch dark of night on a lady's bicycle, which had no lights. The routes detailed by Wilkinson mostly involved going on a road, but nobody saw Jeremy on a road. The footpaths away from the road were not negotiable, and no tracks were ever seen. The sea wall is a narrow route with a drop into water on one side, 
as you will see shortly. And therefore, is it realistic to believe that Jeremy was able to get from the farm to his cottage and within 10 minutes? Well, it is what the police and the Crown wanted the jury to believe happened. But not only were they not taken to see the proposed routes, the jury were never told why the timing of them was vital. And it was vital, although Essex police have never admitted the reason why. Why were these timings necessary, you may ask? Significantly at trial, the defence failed to ask what purpose of the routes being timed was at all. It was set out that Jeremy must have dialed his home telephone from Whitehouse Farm after committing the murders, leaving the phone off the hook to support his assertion that his father had called him and the line going dead. But there are significant flaws with this crown assertion. Firstly, how could Jeremy possibly have known that BT would not be able to optimise this call, or, if they could, what time it was made, or the length of the time that the call lasted. Secondly, it is known that the police made no such attempts to establish the time the phone was used, nor did they seize it for forensic examination or examine it for fingerprints. So why not? The evidence we now have asserts that at 8.20am, DCR Harris, who was inside the farmhouse, was asked to contact Chief Constable Simpson via the landline. The police logs state, ACCO, Mr Simpson, request to speak landline to DCR Harris. This telephone call was therefore made a considerable time prior to any photographs being taken at the kitchen, the first of which was taken at 10am. Therefore, it cannot be possible that the telephone could have been in the same position when Essex police broke into the house and the position that it is photographed in after Harris had used it. In fact, the evidence now shows that the phone was in a completely different position and this is a factor set out by Stan Jones in an interview with the Metropolitan Police Officers DCR McDermott and DR Brown on the 6th of August 2002. Jones was asked about his knowledge of the telephone evidence and of any police officer using it. And Jones said, And they, officers, wouldn't use the one in the kitchen, I wouldn't think, because I'm sure the photograph showed it hanging down. The telephone handset is not shown hanging down in photographs that have been disclosed. Rather, it is shown with a receiver resting next to the handset on the top of the book. In fact, he stated it was hanging down no less than five times during this interview. And so, where are the photographs that John spoke about showing the kitchen phone hanging down? They've certainly never been disclosed to the defence. Secondly, Jones also provided evidence which indicates that when he saw the phone in the kitchen, it wasn't as pristine and clean as the photographs taken at 10 o'clock by Bird show. Jones said, I can't even see anybody using the phone in that kitchen. There's state of it. Do you know what I mean? There's no way I'd want to use that phone. 
What do you think the interviewing officers then said? Did they ask what he meant by that comment? No. McDermott responded by saying, I'm happy with that. On to ground 13. Therefore, was this telephone in the kitchen cleaned before it was used by Harris to phone Simpson? And was it placed back in a random position off the hook? Whatever happened, it can now be shown that any forensic evidence which should have been present must have been obliterated by Harris. But Ainsley must have realised that the use of the phone by Harris may cause a problem, because he told the DPP in 1985 that there were two telephone lines to the farm. This wasn't true. This was a lie. So returning to another and more reasonable reason that Essex police needed to establish the timing of the bicycle routes is the simplest. The only reasonable explanation, although Essex police have never admitted to this, was, we believe, in an attempt to establish that Jeremy had made the telephone call from White House Farm at 3.26am, claiming to be his father, and then travelled home within 10 minutes so they could then telephone the police from his cottage at 3.26am. Had the route between the two houses been achievable within 10 minutes, would they have made this allegation that Jeremy placed two calls, one from each location? I believe they would. However, admitting that this was the reason for the routes being timed would have resulted in an admittance from Essex Police that two telephone calls had been received that morning, one from Neville Bamber at Whitehouse Farm and one from Jeremy Bamber at Head Street. And neither Essex Police nor the prosecution could risk this fact coming out during the trial. I am now able to reveal some very interesting and exciting news. As part of the new film we've been working on with our amazing filmmakers, the cycle route will be explored further. A professional BMX rider on a state-of-the-art BMX bike will be filmed and timed on these routes. Health and safety means this cannot be done at night. However, it will still be extremely interesting to see how long it takes this professional on a cycle designed for rugged terrain to complete this journey. Thank you for your time, and I will now hand you back to Philip. If you'd like to join our mailing list for the latest updates on the case as they happen, please email us via our website www.jeremy-bamba.co.uk.